Good morning, everyone. My name is Kevin Bates, and I'm the lead pastor for Resonate Christian Church, and I want to welcome each one of you here this morning, wherever you are at. Maybe you are at home, or you're at work, or you're in transition right now, and you can only take in a snippet of this. Uh, we welcome you, and we want to say that we love you, and we care about you, and we are praying for you each and every day. You are our friends, and we want to connect with you. So if there's a way that we can do that, uh, or if you can connect with our Facebook or um, some of our social media or send us a direct message. We want to do that. We want to be a part of your life. We want to connect with you and pray with you. Um, so if you desire that, we desire that. And so if you would uh, connect with us in such a way, that would be, that would be awesome. Every week we are doing this broadcast, and what we've decided to do is to do a broadcast that's specifically recorded just for our pod parishioners. And so those of you who are watching online, I want to talk directly to you, to the camera, to you, um, and not just have you be an onlooker to something that we're doing here in this room. Uh, at 10 o'clock, we do have 25 people that come in, and if you want to be a part of that, you can be. Just let uh, Pastor Jake or Pastor Becky know that you want to be a part of our in-person live gathering at 10 o'clock. Or if you choose to stay at home or wherever you're at and listen online, that's okay too. At 9.30, we have our coffee time. And also at 9.30, we have our kids programming, uh, both on Zoom. And if you want to connect with that, uh, connect uh, for the kids zone, connect with Bethany uh, Flug. She can get you uh, plugged into our kids programming. And also, if you want to connect with our coffee time, Pastor Becky is the connection for, for that. Know that we have community groups that meet every week, and we are thankful for uh, that time as well. If you want it right now, grab some communion elements and some bread and some juice. We're going to take some communion at the end of our, our sermon time here. And so I'm going to do a small introduction. And so turn up your volume and you can go gather those communion elements now. We are a community that loves like Jesus. And my prayer is the last several weeks and also weeks to come that we are growing in our love, that we would grow in the way that we love, how we love, and uh, the, the people that we don't normally connect with, the people that are different, the people that are outside our circles, the people that we don't work with or not in our close circle of friends, just everyone in our life the people that we come across, we connect with on a daily basis, that we would learn to love each person uh, like Jesus and more like Jesus. And so our core values are daily devotion, prayer, freedom from stronghold, serving the community, sacrificial generosity, sharing and knowing our stories and celebration. Those core values, if we develop those in our life, I, I know that those values grow inside of us and help us to love more like Christ would want us to love. All right, giving you an update on some of the changes and the idea of remaining online, I wanted to give you an encouraging note before I got started that we are definitely taking this reopening of church slow. We're taking it with the utmost of precaution and safety, and we want you to know that we have joined churches all over the state with a 
unified statement that we're going to follow the governor's guidelines and mandates about reopening. And so we at 10 o'clock have just a few people in the room that is pre-scheduled and, and that roster is pre-done through the week. Uh, I want you to know that I miss you. I miss gathering in a, in a larger gathering with you. And it's, it's hard. It's difficult to not have everyone here and participating. My guess is that this kind of rhythm that we have going on is going to last well into the fall. And so I, I'm prepared for that. I want you to be prepared for that. And, uh, and so we are growing our online content. Pastor Becky and Sherea have been doing a great job in creating content for our church. And I want to grow that over the summer into the fall because I know that not everyone's going to... <clears throat> feel comfortable being here or not everyone's going to be able to be here, especially with summer coming and people just traveling all over. But I know that people are watching online, our online broadcast um, has views all throughout the day and the week, and I'm excited for that. I'm thankful for that. Um, things like Vine and Sparrow, our event center, are starting to get previews again, tours, I, uh, I, I am so thankful for Jessica and her work. She does an outstanding job in keeping us going with Vine and Sparrow. She just did a tour yesterday of someone, and so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for our community groups. They have all uh, got online uh, for this time, and then uh, slowly we're doing in-person out on our patio, like dinners and, and events. And if you want to schedule one of those, you're more than welcome to get in contact and we can help you get something scheduled out on our patio. I really think that God is just using this time to sharpen us, to help us uh, focus on what the most important things are. And so I'm thankful and want to send you a thank you for just hanging in there and doing the best with what you've been given. And, and I'm really grateful for your commitment to our to our church. Your, your giving is strong during this time. I'm very grateful and I want that to continue. Uh, your giving has been great and I'm, 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 really, I'm really, really thankful that you are continuing to give. And I want to give you that opportunity right now. If you want to give to our church, um, there is a web address that I'm going to have our team put up on the thread that you can click that link and you can go to our give page if you haven't given in a while or you're not sure how to give during this time this is the way to give if you're looking at Facebook live right now or if you are uh, doing the YouTube channel um, on either one there's going to be a link in the thread that you can click on and give online so with that let's get started with our with our sermon time I'm going to be in Ephesians 6 uh, verses 10 through 20, and I'm going to read that right now for us. Paul says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord in his powerful strength. Put on God's armor so that you can make a stand against the tricks of the devil. We aren't fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, forces of cosmic darkness, and spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. Therefore, pick up the full armor of God so that you can stand your ground on the evil day and after you have done everything possible to still stand. So stand with the belt of truth around your waist, 
justice as your breastplate and put shoes on your feet so that you are ready to spread the good news of peace. Above all, carry the shield of faith so that you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Offer prayers and petitions in the Spirit all the time. Stay alert by hanging in there and praying for all believers. As for me, pray that when I open my mouth, I'll get a message that confidently makes this secret plan of the gospel known. I'm an ambassador in change for the sake of the gospel. Pray so that the Lord will give me the confidence to say what I have to say. This is the word of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 1 through two, uh, 10 through 20 is a fantastic verse as we have the last several weeks been talking about uh, racial justice. And I think that there are some really important ideas to continue this topic of racial justice that we can learn from and come to grips with with this, with this topic. I would have to say that this journey over the last several weeks has been a hard season. It's been a hard, hard self-look. It's been a hard look at our culture and our society about where we are at. And there's something that I do not want you to lose sight of because some of you might feel a lot of guilt. Some of you might feel shame. Some of you might be angry. Some of you might be um, sad or feeling an overwhelming amount of emotion. There's a message that I don't want uh, us to lose sight of. And that's the message that life has been very difficult and very different for groups of people in our society, very difficult for groups of people in our society, especially people of color and especially the African-American community. And we need to never lose, not lose sight of that idea and that, that message that no matter what you are hearing, no matter what you are ex- experiencing, no matter the emotions that are welling up, the, the idea and the truth that the African-American community has experienced in, in institutional, societal, systemic racism, that is a truth. And that's been very, very difficult for those communities in our, in our country. So difficult that now is the time that we all need to submerge ourselves in the knowing, the learning, the listening of how we can change and how we can emerge new and be renewed and transformed of our minds to begin the process. And this is, this is the healing process that needs to begin that we could begin a process of healing, emerge through this time with, an, with a renewed sense of value that all people are created equal. And that we need to do the hard work to provide equity and equality in our society. And as Christians, we need to lead the way. And this is why I've been focusing on this Uh, so much because I I do and truly believe that the message of the Bible communicates that we all are children of God. God wants us. He loves us. He cares about all his children. And if one one group or one community of, 
of his children are being oppressed or lorded over or experiencing a systemic, like today, racism that's been going on for decades and decades, centuries in our, in our country. We need to lead the way of equity and equality as Christians. That is what our calling is to be, the ambassadors of reconciliation, that we need to right what has been, been wrong. And so we know that this is not a new thing. Racial injustice is not a new thing. We know that from our history. And just like the sins of the generation after generation after generation can be passed forward generationally, that we are experiencing sins of our grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-great-grandparents. We are experiencing those sins that have been passed down, and we are carrying those, those sins forward. Just like we have experienced that generational sin, we can also begin the process of injecting the goodness, equality of God, the values that God has, has given us as human beings. We can, we can begin the process of expressing those in our society so that generation after generation can start experiencing the goodness of God versus the evil of humankind, the, the flesh of, of the humankind. And so we want, and I want, my children to experience a more equal and fair uh, country. I want my children and grandchildren to experience a more fair and equal society, especially for the African-American community. I, I think that that is going to take a lot of hard work. I think that's going to be good hard work that we need to invest in our society and not put a blind eye to it, to not put blinders on that we would remain focused, that, that the truth of systemic racism exists, and we need to begin the healing process of rectifying what is, is, is wrong. And so we need to see what is wrong and right what is wrong, and that is the righteousness of, of God. There are certain things in life that I look at and go, that is wrong. And then there's certain things that I look at in life and say, that is right. And now is the time when I'm saying, this is the right thing to do, and we need to do it. It's not a political thing. It's not a party thing. It's not, a, it's not anything like that for me. It's, it's, a, it's a human decency thing where, where that which is wrong, we're identifying what is wrong, and we need to identify what is right, and we need to do what is right in, in this time. In the concept of racial justice or injustice, we have to talk about the idea of institutional racism and, and, and just societal racism uh, or systemic racism is another idea as well. Basically, the overarching idea of systemic evil. And in my, in my lifetime, I do remember certain things that, that happened, some of the experiences that I had with like racial injustice or racism or actually feeling like anger 
and shame and guilt as as well. Back when I was uh, when I was younger, over racial racial tension. I remember in the early 1990s there was an incident uh, with a person by the name of Ronnie King, and this person was was beaten by authorities, and basically the trial went awry and people were just just let go and and no charges were brought against uh, those that brutally beat him. Basically, as a, as a result of that release or that incident or that, that season of, of time that we were witnessing um, certain things and on, on video that was captured on, on video, as a result, South Central Los Angeles, which I lived very close to that, um, just uprooted in, in rioting and, and uprooted in, in protest. And people looted and burned basically the town. And it was an awful time in, in history, in modern history. And it, yet it was one of the first times that I witnessed a reaction to systemic racism. I, I, I saw institutional racism. I didn't know it was called that at the time. But I witnessed that. And then I saw a reaction and a literal uprising um, in our area. And one of, the particular, uh, one of the particular videos that I watched was a gentleman um, at the corner. He drove his truck to the corner of a street called Florence, and, and the cross street was Florence and Normandy. And he drove this tractor-trailer truck into the intersection, and people, and, and he, was, he was white, and people pulled him out of his truck and, and literally just, just kicked this guy and beat him, brutally beat, it, beat him. I, I did some studying and reading on, uh, his name was Reginald Denny. I did some studying on him, and, and he was beaten pretty bad to the point that they call it, call it that he miraculously survived this beating. I mean, I remember somebody just holding a cinder block over his head and just smashing this like cinder block thing over his, his head. And then when he was just bleeding out on his head and he's laying, everyone just, you know, is watching this video thinking this guy was dead on the ground. He then gets up off the ground and he's like just totally losing his bearings and trying to stand up and just somebody just runs right next to him and just basically kicks uh, Reginald in the in the head again and I remember sitting there there was an air helicopter that was was taking this video and I remember sitting there watching the TV and blood is gushing out of this guy's head and and I was just shocked that this whole thing was happening. So I was, I was so shocked that I wanted to go down and just walk the streets of where this occurred. So the, so the rioting then quieted down. There was, there was, you know, the, the burning buildings, you know, they had put those out and basically the fighting in the street kind of came to a close. And I wanted to drive down there. So I drove down to Florence and Normandy and just kind of walked the streets and and just uh, saw where this all occurred. And I, I wanted to see it. And, and it made me very sad. 
but honestly, for years, I had to process through some anger. And I didn't understand my anger at the time. I didn't understand why this. I just looked at it as these people beat this guy, this guy named Denny up um, on the corner and they burned their you know, businesses and they stole all this stuff and they looted their, their businesses. And I, and I didn't understand uh, why I was angry and I didn't understand why it happened. I didn't understand why this even occurred. And, and what I really didn't understand is the historical tension and oppression of the black communities in the areas of Los Angeles. I didn't understand what was occurring and the history of oppression and racism in those communities and the, the redlining and the, I didn't understand the, the covenant contracts of real estate in communities where people of color couldn't buy houses, you know, all the way at the modern times like recent times where people couldn't buy houses in certain white communities. If you're a person of color, you couldn't buy a house in a white community. I, I didn't understand that that was actually occurring. Um, and so I had a lot of like misguided anger and animosity towards, towards people and, and towards, the, uh, towards you know, the, the incident and what had happened. Because they had animosity, it seemed towards towards white people, and there was a lot of there was a lot of anger towards white people, and then you know they they did this, so then white people got angry towards towards them. Now, as you know, I became a Christian, and I've studied the Bible, and I've studied racism and racial injustice. Now, I look at I look at maybe the world with maybe a bird's eye view a little bit or, or trying to take a, a, maybe a global universal look at society and culture. And when you zoom out, you begin to see that this was not just an individualistic um, event, that it wasn't one person, uh, it wasn't one incident, it wasn't one um, act of of violence. It wasn't like the four individuals that beat Reginald Denny up. Um, it wasn't just those four. It, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't an individualistic idea. And I would say that the current events that we're experiencing, the protests, the anger, anger the, the, the felt feelings, the, the emotions, of what is occurring is not just one incident either. There's a long history, and there's a long uh, history of problems and systemic problems and history of events that are, that are continuing to lead up to these moments for a long time. In Western culture, we have an individualistic idea. Uh, we have individualistic ideals. We see life and tend to see life in individualism and individualistic ideology. It drives us to look at people as individuals. We look at ourselves as individuals. When we look at a person that makes mistakes, that's their problem. It's an individual's problem when they make mistakes or wrongdoing. We point the finger that person you know, did wrong, and so that person deserves consequences for whatever reason, for whatever faults. Um, they should be held accountable for their choices, their actions, and their wrongdoing. And because 
we are so individualistic, we isolate the problem towards a person or a group of people, um, maybe a small group of people, and that's the whole story. That's the whole story. We are so individualistic in our behavior, and we live in such a small concentric circle in our life that when something goes awry, blame has to be put on an individual or a group of individuals that, that did it. Um, you ask them why they did it, and you ask them to ex explain why they did it, you will get more of a community answer. You will get more of a universal answer. You won't get the answer of, I'm angry and I burn buildings and I, I beat somebody up, not because I was against that person, but there's a whole idea of, of system that becomes comes the problem. So you have to ask yourself, these questions, and I think that there's, there's some, some looking into these questions that we need to do. Why is there a disproportionate number of black males in prison compared to others? Um, well, in an individualistic society, you would say because they chose to commit crimes and therefore they get prison time. And that would be the individualistic answer. <clears throat> the, another question, could be why is there a disproportionate amount of absent dads in black families? And that's you know, a, a question based on statistics, you know, just looking at the data. And your answer could be because they chose to not take responsibility for the family and they leave. And it's the individual's problem. So why are these disparities basically in ethnic groups? Well, I would, I, as an individual, right, I could say at that moment because different ethnic groups act differently. And that's an individualistic society. We put the blame on the person or the people group. And eventually this individualistic perspective permeates our entire society and the cultural norm is to see in these times we need to accuse this group or these people of not taking responsibility or of their, their crime. I do think, and I'm not, I'm not advocating that we necessarily take away consequences for our actions, yet the blame or just the accusation many times fogs or grays or basically blinds us to the truths and realities in our, in our culture. So we pull out in this individualistic society, we try to prove our statements of it's their problem. We try to prove uh, with you know, a few exceptions. You know, if you just pull it yourself up by your bootstraps and get to work, then you would be successful. Look at Colin Powell. Look at Barack Obama. We start you know, like saying, see, I mean, this person made it. Uh, this person's successful. They did the hard work. And so we, we take these exceptions and we show everyone can be successful in their in their careers regardless of the color of their, their skin. The problem is, is you can't build fairness on exception. 
you can't build equality on exception. And so if there's inequality, yes, you will have exceptions, but that does not negate the inequality. So free will basically uh, becomes the answer to everything at that point, to all life's problems, especially to Christian people. So there's this fear that we have, and that fear basically is uh, that we've experienced in the last several weeks, and I've heard on social media, and I've ex experienced in different conversations, and this is the worry, and this is the fear, that all this talk of systemic racism undermines the moral responsibilities of individuals, that just because you know, you are experiencing racism doesn't give you, quote, the right to A, B, and C. So that's what I've heard from, from people, is all this worry about systemic racism undermines moral, individualistic responsibility. I, I, would, ag I would agree to this degree, is an overemphasis of history um, defining everything, right, is in and of itself racist and wrong, uh, and basically is insulting. And so if you blame everything on, on history, um, you know, that's like, that's like you're, just, you're just a product, just saying you're just a product of, of your history and just negating somebody's uh, life experiences that way. That in and of itself is, is racist. But to exclude the systems of history and ignore history of what has occurred and what white people have built in our culture and what is driving systemic racism, to deny that or to exclude that, this is also racism. And so you can't just blame all of history and say you're a product of your history and negate somebody's personal now experience. That's racism. And to just like in and of itself, like say, say it doesn't exist, right, is racist as well. And, and you can only with the latter of denying that there's, there's systems in place that have harmed people and put people at risk and put people in very vulnerable situations and people have died and people have not succeeded and are oppressed in our society, the systemic racism, to deny that, the only conclusion that you can come to is a racist conclusion. So if you're not, if you're not looking at history and the factors of history that led to the systems that we live in today, the only choice that you have is individualism or a group of people are acting the way they are, and this is xenophobia. This is classic xenophobia and racism against our black friends. And so this is, this is what you're hearing um, on your news channels, cycles, and this is what you're reading on social media, and this is what you, you hear. Um, you might not realize you're hearing it, but when somebody says all lives matter and they just kind of negate the experience of, of our, our black community 
African-American community and what they're experiencing with systemic racism, if you're actually going to deny that and just say, all lives matter and not emphasize or work on or focus on, wait, something is happening, something is occurring, we need to reform, we need to grow, we need to change because black lives matter. If you're just going to say all lives matter, that is denying history. That is denying the fact that there are systems in place built by white people that black people uh, are trying to work within and are not experiencing the success. They're experiencing an unequal success in our, our culture. And you hear this you hear this a lot. So I would appeal to you right now that there are systems in place that promote white privilege. There are systems in place that because of the color of your skin, and if it's white, you will have more success, status, and income than a person of color. They will not have the same status and, and income. So we have to first realize uh, when in this discussion, no one makes choices independent from their history. No one. No one makes choices independent from the culture that surrounds them. Um, otherwise, they're thought to be just rogue. You know, you see that person that's just, just, you know, like completely off the chain different. Right? They're not, they don't uh, walk in cultural norms. They don't, they're not, you know, putting in place cultural values in their, in their life. They're considered just, you know, an independent rogue person. People do not normally make choices. And I would say 99.999% of human beings do not make choices uh, uh, disregarding their history or the culture around them. And so, yes, there is moral uh, responsibility, there's, there's free will, yet there's systems in place that we exercise our free will. And my plea to you is that, that there are systems in place that oppress people. And there has been systems in place that oppress people. We are still experiencing um, the, the covenant, uh, the racist covenant clauses in property. We are still experiencing racist covenant um, statements in property where property could not be sold to people of race because it would, it would reduce the property levels uh, values of the people that are, are around. That is a system that has been in our culture for, for, for a long, long time. And anytime you have something that is attached to value and wealth building, and that's the way that we, we gain wealth in our country predominantly is through 
property ownership, real estate, and the buying and selling of real estate. You think about the generational benefits that some people have had based on that kind of wealth building, and then there's a group of people that has not experienced that kind of wealth building in their community. This is embedded stuff in our, in our culture. And, and the community around us and the system around us helps shape our individualism. And so, yes, we are individuals, and the Bible says that, yes, we are individuals, but yet the Bible, the Bible teaches that we are not to be solely focused on our individual self. Just like we're not supposed to be solely focused on the system uh, and, and just focused on that, we're to focus on our person as well, but we're also not to be focused on just the person. There is a bigger picture to what we are, we are talking about. So the Bible emphasizes this idea of principalities and powers. And when you read in Ephesians 6, in verse 10, it says that we are fighting against human enemies. We are not fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, forces of cosmic darkness, and spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. So basically, Paul lumps all of this group together in this idea of principalities and powers. And in the principalities and powers, he takes a there's a human element to the principalities and powers, and then there's this cosmic spiritual element to the principalities and powers, and he just takes them and puts them into one category of evil. And so that there's these human, there's, we're, not, we're not human enemies, but against rulers and authorities, forces of cosmic darkness and spiritual powers. So if he takes the, if he takes the human enemy out, but yet there's a human element, what are we left with? We are left with a system that the human beings created this human element of system. And if I could replace this word, we aren't fighting against human enemies, but against systems and forces of cosmic darkness. That's the reality of that statement that he's making. If he, if he pulls out the human flesh and says, we're not fighting against human flesh people were fighting against, and then he says rulers and authorities, there's only one conclusion that you can come to, and he's talking about systems that have been built that we are fighting against. These agents or this, these rulers and authorities, we've entrusted rulers and authorities to build systems and community and society and culture in a way that benefits human beings that promotes goodness and love and equality and unity amongst beings. Yet, yet the, the system that is being built has failed people. It's failed groups of people, especially people of color and in specific the African-American community. So the culture, you know, in conclusion of that is the culture is full of evil uh, and the, and the evil is embedded in principalities and powers. The evil is embedded in systems. 
When I use the word embedded, what I want, what I want to communicate is when you benefit from a system, you think the system is good. When you benefit from a system that is built by people that look and act just like you, and it benefits people that look and act just like you, you think, wow, the system's for me. So, you're, so you have these, you know, these, the shield on your face where you can't see the, the holes in the system that embed, that those are the holes that are embedding evil, that the system is not benefiting certain groups of, of people. So this is why white privilege or this is why this is why people are saying right now, well, wait a minute, you know, like why why should we just uproot everything and why should we just rip out the tree at the root or the axe should hit the the root uh, because there's benefits to the system. Yet if a system does not benefit all of human race, it's a broken system. If a system doesn't benefit and promote goodness and unity and love amongst all people, then it's a broken system. And we need to reevaluate that, that system. So there's, there's lots of scholars and lots of people that have talked through um, some some very, some very key and powerful ideas that I don't have time to, to go into today. But I would say that, that there's, there's people out there, including myself, that have benefited from a system that I would say, but I am not racist. I don't go out and, and point you know, the, the finger at people of color and, and you know, like shame and blame and call them names. And I don't do that. I don't make jokes and laugh, people, laugh at people because of the color of, of their skin. I have two beautiful daughters that are children of, of color from, from Thailand. And so like all of my racial sensitivity training and adoption and and all that has taught me that that's, that's just toxic vitriol. Racism is toxic vitriol from our, from our mouth and our, our being. And I, and I don't necessarily, I wouldn't say I am full of toxic vitriol. I, I don't want to say that about myself. Yet if I remain and if I notice and I remain just silent on an issue, our silence is participation. Our silence is agreement. Our silence is promotion. And so when we are silent on an issue um, of a system that needs to be dismantled and rebuilt, that, that we are participating in promoting systemic racism in our, in our country. So what does the Bible tell us to do? Well, I would say that it says in verse 11, it says, put on, the, put on God's armor so that you can make a stand against the tricks of the devil. So it says that we need to make a stand, or can I say system, right? Where the evil is embedded in the, embedded in the system. So we need to put on and make a stand uh, against the system. 
So I would say that institutional racism, you can see it in the statistics. If you're still wondering if institutional racism exists, there's racism in healthcare where there's subpar quality and, and subpar healthcare that's given to people of color. Statistics show that. Statistics show that there's racism in the courts, that African Americans receive harsher sentences. There's statistics that prove that. The data is there. There's no question about the data of of, of that, there's no question about the data of racial profiling and, and our example of police brutality and things, authority brutality, things like that. Um, there's racial profiling and there's racial, uh, or there's racism in the workplace, like not hiring people of color or having pre predominantly just all uh, white people on on staff and not, not having a diverse uh, staff. So there is industrial racism, there's institutional racism, there's systemic racism, and the data just shows it. And what does the Bible say? We do not struggle against flesh and blood. So what Paul is saying is there's a struggle. He's saying there's a struggle. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and powers and authorities of this land. We're, we're, we're not fighting uh, against flesh, we are, there's a struggle with the system. So there's a struggle no matter how you look at it. Either you are fighting against it or you're being shaped by it. There is a struggle. And, and there are some things that are great to be shaped by, and there are evil things that will, will shape us. And Paul is saying that we need to identify, we need to wake up, and we need to identify that there is a struggle. If you're going to walk through life and say, not a struggle for me, you're probably in a position of benefiting from the system, and it's very easy to just deny the struggle. Paul is saying there's a struggle. Whether you believe there is one or not, there is a struggle. And we need to wake up and not be, and the Bible says, and this is where, this is where we need to look in our hearts and our minds and kind of dig these things out. It says, do not be conformed by the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed by the patterns of this world. So we need to wake up and identify there's a struggle, and I don't want to be conformed by the embedded evil in a system. I don't want that system to shape me. I want something different. But then he says, pick up the armor. And there's a piece of armor that I think that we all just kind of gloss over. We don't look at this piece of armor when it says in verse 14, it says, so stand with a belt of truth. And we kind of, you know, put on that waist belt and we say, I got the truth. Whose truth? I got the truth, right? Uh, uh, belt around my waist, but justice as my breastplate. Justice as my breastplate. You know, that really speaks to me because I can lose my legs and survive, but I can't lose my chest and my breast, my, my front. I can't lose my front and survive. And so when he says that the justice is a breastplate, this is this is right here. I got this belt of truth, but it's right here at the center of, of who I am as, as a Christian, that justice needs to be at the forefront of our, of our conversation, not just some, some, uh, 
thing that we carry around and retrieve every once in a while in our, in our little basket of, of virtue signaling in our, in our life. Number three, there was a lot there in that statement that I just said. So <laughs> number three is he says we need to stay alert and pay attention. You look at this verse, if I can, if I can just switch screens here just really quick. And he says, offer prayers and petitions in the spirit all the time. And he says, stay alert by hanging in there. He says, stay alert. I love that translation. By hanging in there. I, I love that because we need to work towards and pay attention in our society to the systemic racism and the institutional racism that is around us. We need to pay attention to what is happening. And if we see if we experience or, or we are you know, on looking and watch something happen, us as Christians, we need to pay attention. We need to be the forefront of that conversation and bring a reconciling, a, a, a uh, writing of that which is wrong. And that is our calling. That is what we are, we are to do as people, to be those ambassadors of reconciliation in the ideas of racial justice. And so with that, let's take communion. Communion was offered to all people. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. When I think about Jesus and his time, there was a lot of racial injustice um, at his time. And the verses that we read and the verses that we read from Paul later on, when they're talking about systems, they were speaking the same message, that there's evil embedded in the system. And so the words of Jesus, when he says, this is my body given to you, do this in remembrance of me, this is my blood given to you, do this in remembrance of me, when something is given to you, we need to do something with it. It's like a Christmas gift that you never open. Thanks for the Christmas gift. I'm going to leave it wrapped in the corner of my house and never open it. That's insanity. You would never do that, right? And so the gift that has been given, we need to open that up in our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds, and experience the love of Christ so that we can learn better to, to love to love others and to identify and work towards a value that Jesus um, promoted and, and God in his creation said that we are all created equal in the eyes of God. So let's take communion with that thought. Father, thank you for our time together today. And we just pray that, and we humbly just come before you and ask that you would, Lord, teach us, shape us, and mold us. Lord, help us to be, Lord, beacons of light in this time of darkness. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to stay alert and pay attention in this time of racial injustice. Lord, help us to be a part of 
solutions instead of problems. Help us to not just be answer people and, and truth mongers. Lord, I just pray that we, would, that we would speak justice and that we would work towards fairness and ultimately show love to people. So Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.